listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Here's a message from today's episode's sponsor. Insulate, makers of Omnipod, are committed to simplifying the lives of people with insulin-dependent diabetes. Omnipod 5 Automated Insulin Delivery System Aid is indicated for people with type 1 diabetes ages 2 years and older. Omnipod 5 is the first and only tubeless aid system in the United States that is exclusively available in the pharmacy. The Omnipod 5 combines a tubeless, waterproof, wearable pod that integrates with Dexcom G6 CGM to automatically adjust insulin based on glucose trends every 5 minutes. For more information on this innovative technology, visit Omnipod.com. Disclaimers, the pod has an IP28 rating for up to 25 feet for 60 minutes. The Omnipod 5 controller is not waterproof. The Dexcom G6 is sold separately and requires a separate prescription. Visit Omnipod.com safety for additional important safety information. Pharmacy Podcast listeners, this is Twerks This Week in Pharmacy. I'm excited today. Every time we get to have people in the studio, it makes it at least 10% better, depending on who it is. If it's someone like Sean Naren, then it's a party. Um, We're going to tone it down today, though, because we're talking about serious stuff in the world of pharmacy business and pharmacy technology. That's where I started my career in pharmacy a long time ago. Um, I'm getting old when I can say 20 years ago and actually remember things with uh, great clarity, um, Bob. I'm excited about today. And I have two guests, um, Bob Bates, uh, Craig McEwen Everybody. with Red Cell Technologies. Welcome to This Week in Pharmacy. Thanks for having us. Hey, We're thanks, excited. Thanks, Todd. It's excited to be down here and, and talk with you both. And as we, before we started recording, uh, just for people that are listening, that might not be lo- watching us per se mm-hmm. in the studio, um, there is a history here of understanding technology and where it's going and and where it was. But when you start piecing it together from someone who remembers character-based systems and what that meant to efficiency and workflow, that's kind of what we're going to get into today. But before we do, um, Craig, you have an interesting story I'd like you to share with our listeners about how you got into this industry and kind of your legacy of where you started and where we are today with red cell technologies. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Uh, I guess the listeners can decide whether it's interesting or not, um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll give it a go. Uh, first of all, I guess the, the part of the story and very appropriate chat with you is it's a, it's a Pittsburgh story. Um, so Pittsburgh. Born, born and bred in Pittsburgh and um, most of my career. And I, I just like you of over, over well over 20 years uh, in healthcare technology close to 30 years now in healthcare technology, Started out in, in cardiology, radiology, and that's a, another discussion, but another great Pittsburgh company, a company called MedRad. Yeah. Um, and then um, moved into the pharmacy space uh, when we took a Pittsburgh-based startup that got it purchased by uh, McKesson, a company in Pittsburgh, which was really uh, called Automated Healthcare, and was the uh, pharmacy automation business for McKesson. And that was really how I entered the pharmacy space. And uh, we we looked at that business and felt that there was an opportunity to really 
um, over invest and innovate uh, in that space and things bring software to automation, bring Ivy robotics, and Ivy workflow uh, to health systems, which was uh, still is one of the most dangerous uh, pieces of pharmacy. Um, and that was a that was a great, great business. And I think taught me a lot about uh, the value of um, finding a great market and having the courage to invest. And uh, after we sold, uh, we branded that company Ascent. After we sold Ascent to Omnicell, I was the co-founder of a specialty pharmacy technology business called Trellis RX, uh, which built out uh, the software and the processes and capabilities to help health systems uh, enter the specialty pharmacy market. And, and that was that, that's great, still a great business. Um, and Trellis is still out there, right? Yeah, we, we sold Trellis to CPS a couple of years ago. And then, um, and then we uh, have been looking at the retail pharmacy space for a lot of years. Uh, view, uh, I've got a particular passion for the independent pharmacies. Like yeah. coming from Pittsburgh, it's it's hard not to, <laughs> to have a exactly. passion. The underdog. To have a passion <laughs> for the underdog. Um, but it's a space that we felt uh, is really important to patients and my family and friends, um, but also felt that it was a, a space that uh, hasn't been adequately invested in. And so um, we can talk about this as we get further, but Red, red Cell, a, a core tenant of our of our being is uh, over-investing for innovation. And, and uh, we'll talk a lot about access, access. Yeah. One, one, of the, one of the outputs of that vision, which is, is the truly first cloud-based uh, pharmacy management system, uh, definitely long-term care, and I'd, I'd argue the first, the first real one in the country. That's incredible. That's kind of what I want to get on, get in, in on. But before doing so, um, Bob, it's it's amazing to have you here and a veteran in the industry, um, working alongside Tammy Devine at one time. I loved working with her back in the QS one days when we'd drive down to was it South Carolina? Yes, yeah, Spartanburg, yeah, South Spartanburg. Carolina, Spartanburg. So now it's like the next gen QS one platform to kind of ev- continue evolving, but. Share with the listeners about yourself and how how you got here. Oh man, years of technology um, and uh, in healthcare, probably about eleven or twelve, and uh, and and certainly uh, pharmacy is just an offshoot of that. It's uh, and, and a, an important one, right? It's it's critical to the business, but uh, technology enhancements. That's actually how Craig and I hooked up was replatforming and re-energizing businesses and reinvesting in them is like core to what I do. So. Um, usually brought in when they need a new um, system to drive uh, growth. And that's far more fun than turning stuff down or, you know, optimizing and things like that. So when we got started on a journey, I was actually on a golf course and uh, Craig and I had worked together before and we had built a new platform there as well that was cloud-based. And he said, hey, look, we're over in pharmacy. We have these old systems and the whole industry is full of them. And uh, we want to take it to the next level and uh, we want to build a new one. Uh, Do you want to take this on? And I said, well, first of all, working for Craig, he invest in the business. FP does as well. And uh, the opportunity to do that and work on this team. I mean, if you haven't seen the rest of the team that Craig's put together, it's pretty amazing. So we have a good time um, and we get to make a difference when you get to work with your your customers and they say, wow, it's easy to use this system. And we'll talk about that later with Axis. But one of the core premises that we put into it was not just cloud-based and ease of uh, ease of operating, but ease of use when you can go up there and use that and you can fill a prescription. And Craig's got a pretty good story about somebody he brought into his office when we, we built this system. Um, when you can go in and do that, and we actually had it happen at our booth. We were at the uh, uh, HM, uh, we basically were at a trade show just recently. 
and we had a pharmacist come in and he was filling prescriptions within like five minutes. He's going, don't do it. Let me do it. And I'm like, you know, usually that takes a week, a month, you know, sometimes up to six months to use these systems. And we built this system with a a intuitive uh, background. So that's my background, just bringing new systems to the market and specifically healthcare and pharmacy. You know, um, now, understanding what happens to an operation, what happens to workflow, what happens to ease of use of a pharmacy software system where you start giving the user freedoms. And I remember the world of competing with character-based systems. I had no idea about pharmacy software in 2004, but yeah. I did understand workflow. I understood workflow because my background in telecommunications yeah. was 100% about workflow. Mm-hmm. Getting the data passed through a frame relay network before the internet, <laughs> that, that you had to get that data passed securely through firewall technology and as quickly as possible. That kind of like poured into my career at Softwriters with being the very first SQL-based system, yeah. right? Yeah. Now we're talking about a revolutionary program that literally reinvented workflow. And guess what that was called? Integra's DocuTrack system. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So when you put in, when you empowered yeah. me and Louis Foster and I were, yeah. were oh, yeah. a killer yeah. sales group, right? <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Because I come in with this revolutionary platform that we just sold three months ago yeah. and we're implementing. And it was a hard system to implement at the time because back then we didn't have anybody that was consulting long-term care pharmacies. They really had to go through training and kind of figure it out themselves. But then when I put Louie on my team, who really understood more about workflow Mm -hmm. and how to manage paper and how to manage digitizing of paper, that revolution, that was the next level up. And so then about that time, I kind of, you know, I left Softwriters and watched uh, um, Integra just explode with workflow technology. That's part of your legacy and your story today. Because if you think of this, we think character, SQL, Workflow, aka Integra, mm-hmm. uh, DocuTrack, Delivery Track, and now I know there's something between that, probably yeah, something other. else before <laughs> access. Right. But now we're going to the, the cloud. So there's another yeah. level of information management, information access, yep. information dissemination, and I can't wait to talk to you, Craig. And I know I'm jumping the gun. But I want to talk about the rise of the consultant pharmacist too, and how this kind of plays into where this is all going. But I'm going to slow down because I get too excited. Kind of give <laughs> you're getting excited. Give us a kind of take us from the Integra world, right, where you guys started like realizing they had something special. How did this start to kind of start to piece together? Because Craig, I know you, and I know that you see just like I see, and I see podcasting and audio development of education. I'm looking at it five years from now. You see things from a software user base and in 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 consultancy and what that means for the industry. Yeah, so I'd say, you know, the 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 technology expert in the rooms, uh, Bob. Um, I I I think of things. I study markets, and um, to me, we've got roadmaps for pharmacy. Um, because a, a lot of industries have moved to the cloud and, you know, we're uh, a yeah. lot of, we're, we're owned by a, a private equity firm, Francisco partners, who's uh, a wonderful owner because they, they understand the value of investing in software. 
So I've worked with them for 12 years and I've seen and helped them uh, move businesses to the cloud in multiple industries. And so uh, to me, it wasn't a, a question of should we, of course we should. Um, it's a little bit of a question of how and and the different pieces. And so uh, for us, the, the, the interim step, you know, we, we acquired QS1, a uh, wonderful, rich history. Uh, there were a couple gems in the QS1 portfolio that a lot of people forgot about. Integra uh, being being a one uh, and also the, the pharmacy switch. Yeah. Um, and, and we then acquired Pioneer Rx, which in, in my opinion is. Uh, as we sit here today, the best pharmacy management system in the country by far uh, clearly is uh, yep. placing more pharmacy systems and has more pharmacy systems than anybody. But a lot of that's because of the vision of, of Jeff Key and that team of, of having the passion for workflow. Yep. Uh, so there, you can do everything in workflow there. And if you uh, obsess about it, you can make it magical. And I think uh, one of the things on our journey we looked at and said, this is wonderful technology, we we can put it on a platform in the cloud and be able to innovate at a much more rapid pace. The other piece we we said is for pharmacy, in our opinion, workflow is hugely important, but everybody forgets about the backbone, uh, which is how do you move the script from place to place? Yeah. Uh, and so we also moved what was the QS1 switch, or a lot of people know it as Powerline. Yeah. We moved that onto the same yeah. cloud architecture. And so we now have the first cloud pharmacy switch in the market. We acquired um, a company called TransactorX, which had built uh, a cloud-based medical billing. We've integrated those two. So in our view, you've got, you've got to move the whole thing to the cloud to really be able to take advantage of the tools that, that the new technology brings you. And I think what we're preparing for, um, Bob, is the advent of how to layer information to get information to our pharmacists faster and mm -hmm. to our operations team faster to make it easier to access without having to build these clunky, old-fashioned <laughs> API interfaces that I lived off of back in 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, where I was listening to the pharmacist saying, what can we do to improve workflow? Well, I need access to this information or I need access to this consultant program. This is almost now you've created a system because I understand kind of the, mm -hmm. a little bit of the backend technology. And I remember the new programming language called Ruby on Rails that came out that was a little freedom driven. <laughs> yep. But what I'm thinking of bolting on now, like Legos, now you can just bolt something on in the cloud because it's not waiting for all this infrastructure, old fashioned way that we used to program. So right. talk about the power of what that does for our user and, and reaction sure. to our user. I'd step back and look at, so I, actually I'll start with your telecom background was interesting. That's where I started as well. Oh. And that discipline you learn about how to get new platforms out and the things you have to consider, because it was all about pennies and operational efficiency. Um, that drives a, a engineering approach to a lot of things you do. And then I use that every day. Craig and I were laughing about it coming in. That's that's always going to be my bend coming into a problem. Yep. So when Craig said assess the platform and what do we need for, you know, starting with long-term care and the, first you need scalability. Second is you need configurability and speed to make changes. And that that's in workflow, but that's in all aspects of running that pharmacy. Um, the third thing is how do you take that and and build something that you can uh, mobile apps natively on top of the fourth thing I look at is sustainability of it. So if you want to make changes or you want to grow the platform, what you see in existing platforms that were built um, either uh, server side or even in hosted data centers, they were built 
code on top of code on top of code. So the yeah. ability to go back and make changes are slower. Yeah. And the ability to innovate is much slower. And it, in most cases, in our case, it, for the um, what we were replacing, you know, um, it took a rewrite. And then the fourth thing, I mean, the fifth thing you need is you need access to that data. People want that yeah. data. So not only can we innovate and add mobile apps natively, which is pretty quick, um, because it's built for that, right? You have a UI that's decoupled from all the logic behind it, and we can just add <laughs> capability behind it. And then people need data. So you bring that data in, and then you enable that for the user. So being in the cloud gives you that scalability, and you can go pull that data, and people can use their own data to help. And we can also consult. So the next thing you'll see coming for us is not only automation through AI. Now that you've built those five things in the cloud, we call it the illities in software. But then you have the ability to say, okay, take AI, AI predict, automate, um, teach people about efficiencies and how they're operating. So those are the things we're going to have. And a lot of people, the, the people that are doing better are using that data to say, drive, drive my cost down, yep. drive the speed to operation, you know, my operations make it more efficient. Well, you have that data to do it yourself if you want, or we can assist you. So those are the things we have in the cloud. And if you think about putting a server on your site, um, you have to maintain that server. You have to update it. You you have ability to only do so much with data unless you start stacking servers. And that's just not sustainable. In the cloud, uh, if you want additional ca capabilities or compute, it happens automatically. We build it that way where it scales out. So those are some of the things I would consider. But I'd stick with those five things and just know from there the future is is brighter and we put out code every two weeks on a multi-tenant platform <laughs> and a lot of features in that. And, and long-term care is built for it, uh, yeah, really quite is. honestly. I mean, there, there's multiple segments of pharmacy that we'll take this platform to, but long-term care is built for it. it you've got uh, professional IT organizations that don't want any hardware. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Yep. You, you've got multiple facilities that you're trying to reconcile and close financial statements and multiple billing contracts, et cetera, that, um, discrete databases uh, are just not made to deal with. And so, uh, and then you've got care moving outside of the traditional walls of long-term care and you're tethered to the hardware. And so it's, it's just tailor made for it right now. And um, we're, we're just at the early phases of it. Quite yeah. Right. Home healthcare. Just have the same system sitting on your iPad yeah. because it was designed that way. I'm mean, actually our screen shrink yeah. and allow you to enter enter prescriptions or care care is going to matter more than anything probably out there. And, and that's the capability you have. The rise of home health care is a huge part of community pharmacy yeah. and the fusion of long-term care pharmacy services, uh, Jerry med ASCP. Um, some of the other organizations are focused specifically on how do we help community pharmacy expand their long-term care pharmacy services yeah. at the bedside at home yeah. instead of as a facility? So this cloud-based system that you could start connecting other things into, like we were set, talking about the packaging system that's sitting on the on the um, table, uh, the coffee table of the patient, mm -hmm. which is strip packages, yeah. you know, the yeah. the next dose, just bolt right in into those technologies. So that excites me because it shows me that not only are you building technology for scale, but you're you're preparing your our user to empower themselves and evolve their business and strengthen their businesses. So that that's what I get excited about because yeah. I also like you, Craig. I have a sweet spot. You know, I um I want to see community pharmacy thrive. I don't just want to see them, you know, survive, and I certainly don't want to see them shrink. 
Um, That's right. And and I so, so you've got to. I mean, our our, our views. You've, you've got to give them the technology platform. So if you're if you're a community pharmacy or independent pharmacy, um, and you're you're competing against the the evil empires, um, you don't have scale on your side. But what you do have on your side is innovation and speed. And so uh, when I look at that, you've got to say, okay, uh, it's going to take a CVS of the world years to make a decision. But when they make that decision, they can put billions of dollars behind it. If you want the independence to thrive, you've got to give them the tools to be nimble. That That's the inherent competitive advantage of the independence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think of um, different flavors of pharmacy growing out of the original community pharmacy. And you'll take the first generation, the grandfather, and where he took the business as a community staple, the trust that the mm -hmm, community yeah. had in that pharmacy, the apothecary style. Now, all of a sudden, the sun takes over, and now we're becoming much more integrated to the community, as well as a health system follow-up for ambulatory care coming out of the yep. hospital and medication sinking. We're at the third level, guys. It's time to upgrade one more time for the for the grandson, you know, this third or the yes, granddaughter. That's a good way to, to, about. to say it's now time to level up and bring in technology that's ready for us to expand the literal role of the pharmacist in healthcare, which is now not just centered around the prescription; it's centered around the patient yep. and all of the services that that remote patient monitoring. And, yeah. you know, and, and pharmaco pharmacogenomics and all this ability to, to latch into the patient's life so that the pharmacist gets more opportunity to service and provide that makes absolute sense because the physician yeah. has no time for this. And the next generation of pharmacists, uh, frankly, yep. aren't, aren't going to put up with the older, older technology. Bob and I are, were alluding when we were first developing the platform. My niece is a, a senior pharmacy student at Duquesne. Uh, much smarter than I. Go Duquesne. Uh, go Duquesne, right. <laughs> and uh, I'm a Penn Stater, but, but my niece is there. That's fine. Um, and, well, Sean uh, Naren's listening. So we have to <laughs> and I had her come into the office and she was curious to see what we were doing with Axis. And, you know, the, the next generation pharmacist, it's, it's got to work like your phone. And she sat down and we were going to give her some instructions. She's like, I, I, know, I'm, I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see if I can start filling scripts. In, in less than five minutes, she's filling scripts. And that's the, that's the example, the demand that the next generation should be putting on us, quite frankly. Yeah. It, it, you, you shouldn't be willing to put up with taking weeks to learn something. It should sure. take minutes. Yeah, I call it technical OCD, and, yeah. and I have it, so it's built yeah. in us. If, if I'm in an app and I can't get somewhere in two steps or less, I'm checking out. I'm gonna go somewhere else. I'll download something else off the yeah. you know, off the internet. So um, that's what we built in mind, and and you have to have that ab ability to do that. And actually, systems now are built with roles and entitlement, and then you can actually have screens tailored toward those those roles as opposed to just throwing a bunch of stuff on a page oh, and saying figure yeah. yourself out. And we're gonna take months to do it. The other thing is you have a workforce, and it's not just COVID that people are moving around a whole lot more. And um, if you're doing that, then you've got to have something where somebody's picking that up in a week, a matter of days, at worst cases, a couple of weeks. Yeah, your ROI on somebody that you've invested six months to use a, an older system that's more complex and then they're gone is terrible. And that, that hurts the pharmacy. So our goal was to make something way more intuitive, way more usable that you can actually define what people do. Yep. 
And then to your point, you know, we'll automate more and more over time. Now, once you have a configurable system and you can add capabilities, you can actually shortcut steps by using intuitive learning or machine learning, which is AI. And you start to use that data to say, hey, look, your pharmacy, you actually should go back and talk to these techs and say, I would do it differently or change your operation. Those are the things we should be consultative. Once you have a system, systems should be table stakes and scalable, and you shouldn't have to worry about where the server is. Nobody does, right? And you, when you're working on the internet now, you don't. We're not looking for a machine under your desk, nope. right? It's a laptop no, or a device. What you're talking about, Bob, is the is the proactive infrastructure support organization, not the reactive. That is absolutely true. So the AI in the background could literally teach the user. It, you would be it would be in your best interest to slightly change your workflow to this That's right. because now you're going to have a better you're going to get 160 more prescriptions out in a day if you do it this way yeah because i want to because craig the thing is is i want to remove the pharmacist from dispensing prescriptions anyway and get them doing much more consultation dig down into the health of the individual and the patient especially with the complexities that we're seeing in um, disease states and chronic disease states with our seniors, which is where the heart of all this is coming from, from long-term care. But long-term care is not our grandpa's long-term care. That's right. It's a whole net, another generation of what That's that right. means. And, and it's not so such a bright line. You know, you've got, uh, you know, combo thousands shops. of combo shops That's uh, right. uh, out there. I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and, and how you provide that care, you know, we, when we talk to, to pharmacies, if you're if you're a retail pharmacy, we basically say, look, if, if you want to stay profitable uh, over the next 10 years, you've got to diversify into two areas. Yep. You have to get into long term care and protect yourself from DIR fees. And you have to get into clinical services, a because that's how you can differentiate yourself uh, from the online pharmacies and yep. and um, and the Amazons and the CBS of the world. Um, but it's also an important revenue and profit stream for you. And if you're not doing those two things and we're not enabling it, um, you're not going to be a pharmacy very long. <laughs> yeah, I, I get excited that our organization and network attracts some of the most innovative players. And one of the clients that we welcomed less than a year ago was Happier at Home, which is a home care agency mm -hmm. that does all of the ancillary supportive services, the house cleaning, the shopping, the check-in. And now community pharmacies are bolting in home it. care organizations. Well, guess what? There's still data there. Yeah, yeah. There's still an app that's going to be needed that's going to say, uh, giving a shout out to Debbie over at Happier at Home, hey, work with these, uh, yeah, absolutely. these, these code writers. But you're going to have to say, I did, we did bathing today. Check. Um, the, the patient said on a scale from one to 10, their mood is an eight. You know, yeah. they're, they're feeling pretty good today. Check. I mean, there's a whole opportunity for home health care that's merged with long-term care which is merged with the infrastructure which is community pharmacy yeah and that's where i see that's literally where i see this going and and i'm i'm the bruce nealon 2.0 a shout out to bruce <laughs> nealon that i want to be where he was 20 years from now knowing that all of these pieces of the puzzle were aligning to empower pharmacists in pharmacy in america to not only lower costs, but deliver better healthcare and more reactive healthcare. Because think about it, the way that you're writing programs and the way that you're writing software is literally the way that pharmacists are now evolving. They're not acting, uh, they don't have to go to home base. They can walk into the home with an iPad 
or they can telehealth right into the living room as long as there's an internet connection and a camera Imagine. to really dig down into a medical geofencing around that and consultative around medication management and interactions and totally agree even um we were talking about telemedicine as well or telehealth um and then, you know, when Craig and I started this, you're absolutely right. That's the ecosystem we were looking at. So you have to have a vision for where you're going. So as we were looking at it, there were three pieces, right? We knew that a cloud-based pharmacy management systems that were highly configurable and getting more um, capabilities out there quicker and much more intuitive. Second part of that was the ecosystem. We called it the exchange. How do you interact with those systems to start plugging people in? That was the second part of our vision. And then the third one was data rules. Right. So we had that big database out there and it's not a database. It's, you know, cloud based computing with a whole lot of data. Sorry. And uh, you take that and you use that data to automate, to uh, provide additional capabilities, et cetera, and be consultative. Um, and then you were talking about, you know, like bringing in a new capability. Yep. That's so much easier. I mean, like when you start to look at the we're, we're um, certifying with EMAR vendors. Well, once you've done one, you're like 80, 90 percent there. Can you and. and Things like conversions now are so much easier if you use the modern techniques and tools. So getting people live is easier too. Uh, we envision a day where one day you're going to go online and you're going to say, hey, I want to start a new pharmacy. Load your data. Um, here's the interfaces I want. They're already in our exchange. They've been certified. And then you start to pick. And then it you're up and running. It reminds me of an Apple environment. Like you guys are an iPhone and you're able to just throw the app on. And I think of the horror of... There are three worst things that can happen to a pharmacy by by understanding selling pharmacy systems for mm -hmm. years. Number one is don't change my wholesaler because it's a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. Number two, please don't make me change my pharmacy software. Right. And number three, please don't make me change my major staff. Like I don't want to lose yeah, staff. Yeah. I don't want to have to train staff. I've worked in two of the three. I've yeah. worked in wholesale with yep. the buying group environment, and I've mm -hmm. worked in technology. This is one of the scenarios that we can eliminate that pinch that it's not so painful to wait for a year to be efficient in workflow based on the conversion of a, of a pharmacy yeah, software system. Yeah, you can't. I, I also think technology is the solution to the disintermediation of healthcare, uh, right? And so the, the pressures that are on pharmacy are because over the years, the regulations and the laws have permitted a greater and greater disintermediation between the patient, the physician, and the pharmacist. And the way to eliminate that and, frankly, bypass the PBMs is to get people on a modern technology. So uh, put independents uh, and pharmacies in general on a common technology platform, not to force them to comply with how you run a business, because that's the beauty of independence, but to enable them to reach the manufacturers yep. and bring those dollars directly directly in the pharmacy that's part of the vision that we've got to that we've right. got to drive towards we, we can't build all the all the technologies and platforms and still permit all of these other players to disintermediate the pharmacist the economics right. just don't work right you have to have um an ability to allow these pharmacies to thrive which you know i'm trying to be i'm a very positive person i'm a, I'm a glass half full yeah. at all person however there is instances and there's something that I do want to bring up to both of you. And, and I, I think we see this for a multitude of uncontrollables and controllables factors. And um, all right, we're going through a recession We're 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 not we're not ignorant to that. Mm -hmm. um, number two, um, the PBMs are still in business and they're still thriving and they're still growing. So the whole mechanism of 
payment reform has to take place. And then number three, the age of our of our second generation pharmacist. Like I'm I'm blocking yeah. this in into our grandfather, father, and son. Yeah. So we're all working for the future third generation, the daughter of the granddaughter of the original founder mm-hmm. of the pharmacy. And I'm thinking of the third generation type minded pharmacist that is in school right now. There are P4s, they're graduating. They're going to go work in retail pharmacy to get their experience, maybe work for uh, one of the giants just to kind of get their feet wet. But their 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 desire is to open their own pharmacy. What are we at? 19,000 community pharmacies right now, Craig, about? Of, of the traditional definition, yep. uh, yeah, you know, I would say a lot of people say there's uh, 60,000 pharmacies. I think there's about 80,000 pharmacies out there, 80,000 prescribing locations. What you're seeing in this country is uh, the definition of those that can prescribe medications is is changing. You know, uh, physician practice offices that prescribe meds is the fastest growing uh, place of prescription growth in the country right now. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, so you've got 19, 20,000 and it's been about that for, for a lot of years. You have a, basically a thousand open and a thousand close, uh, right. ev- every year in this country. Um, and we've got to help them. Yeah. We've got to help them. I'm also seeing the boutiques rise. We're seeing yeah. pharmacists build their consultancy around birth control, around HIV specialties, yeah. around, um, fitness. Um, if you go to Instagram and put in, you know, hashtag pharmacist, you'll just wait till you see how many pharmacists are coming and becoming entrepreneurial, but they still need software. They still need a place to send prescriptions and understand how to work with uh, maybe an ants, maybe a, a, a premise-based pharmacist to do, to do medication delivery because they're acting as the consultant. So that's kind of where I want to kind of shift this conversation yep. next is, and I'm going to start with you, Bob, is the rise of the consultant pharmacist and your infrastructure, not just access, even though that's kind of like the star of the show right now, but it's the it's the higher um, elevation and layer of your philosophies that's going to empower the consultant pharmacist that doesn't necessarily have a premise, but they do have relationships with the patients and the patients rely on them to dig down into, let's say, even a specialty rare disease state. I would say that the number one thing is when people, they talk about applications because that's even we learned that when we're using apps on our phone, right? Yep. But the truth is you're building a platform and I'll go back to that's the three pieces and Craig was talking about that and that's the part that's underestimated is the value you bring and the capability you bring with that exchange to bring in, even if you're going to do veterinary, we have some that do that, you know, yeah. treating your dogs. Right. Cash we don't, we don't know. Yeah, it's a huge growth area. <laughs> it is a huge growth area. Yeah. Let's take it off. And and you look at those and go, instead of us being a prohibitor or taking a year, we just build that ecosystem and people can start to integrate and bring those in and add value because you're right. Um, uh, it's not just consulting that they actually run other air, uh, practices out of that, whether a specialty combo, whatever. Um, our objective is to bring all that in uh, capability in that platform where they can use it and run their business. And you can't do that if you have a hardened application. You have to have an ecosystem that allows not just integration, but the ability to visualize that and to tailor that towards your needs. So we see it growing. Yeah. And so if you, if you build on that a little bit, uh, Todd, you know, consultant pharmacy, why does it have to grow? It is growing, but why do we yeah. need it to grow faster? It's a population. Population and we're getting smarter about disease states, right? Yeah, so that's right. If, if, I'm, if I'm prescribing you medications for cardiovascular disease or diabetes, we, we know that weight management and inflammation 
are our core underlying cause of that. So if all I'm going to do is prescribe you your statins, I'm really not doing my job and yep. uh, taking as good care for you. So A, you need to build a system that can, that can help link those things uh, intelligently. The other piece is that, that you highlighted is the ability to di- dynamically change workflow becomes super important yep. when you start integrating services and prescriptions. Yep. I, I need to be able to target particular patients with data, and then I need to be able to change my workflow in my pharmacy real time. Pioneer taught us that, and we're just we're leveraging that capability absolutely in the, in the cloud platform. But you have to be able to change what you're doing at the point of sale. You have to be able to change what you're doing dynamically combining point of sale with messaging or going into the home and then messaging a family member that may be responsible for the care of that patient. And you've got to be able to do those things uh, in the platform. And I would add like appliances at your home to look at, you know, heart rate and blood pressure and glucose. Yeah, the internet of things. And then, yeah, IOT. And then add to it fitness programs that are out there that traditionally were benefit managers now they're coming into our ecosystem as well and say, hey, look, as part of your, your care plan, you know, I would suggest you do these things. You can monitor it. So you can actually incent people to, to behave differently as you get further outside of just what was traditional pharmacy and more consultative. So that that, that ecosystem will grow. And I was part of a panel discussion that involved Kroger Health. And we were talking about the ecosystem of the pharmacist becoming a bigger player. Absolutely. And I started thinking of our own giant eagle here in in pittsburgh imagine that giant eagle advantage card which i i use about 50 percent of the time because sometimes i go to a different grocer but imagine if i wanted to lower my a1c or lower um uh, height um, swelling or some something and i and i was told by my pharmacist you should be eating more xyz right well when when giant eagle starts to tie in what are a consumer is buying and give them points towards yeah. more vegetables, yep. right? Nutrition and incentive. Or, yeah. or more broccoli at Shop and Broccoli or something that you can <laughs> that you could yeah. have, you know, integrated. Sorry now you're you're combining holistic and integrative yeah. health yep. with pharmaceutical management and and health management. Yeah, I, I agree. We and we should be and we will be you'll, you'll see us offering capabilities for subscription type services for pharmacies uh, and their patient populations to integrate health scripts and services yep. and and you get your frequent flyer above yeah, points, so to speak. <laughs> right yeah i'm i'm excited where this can go and and i think i think what i want our listeners to understand we are but the servants in place to be infrastructure for the evolution of pharmacists it's the pharmacist that is in their first year of working at a major chain that sees major issues in workflow that we want to hear from these people. And we want to hear how do we make yep. things better for yep. you to make technology? Because when I pick up my iPhone, I don't think really about anything except getting to what I need done. My scheduler, my music, and my bank account. Yeah, you know, I just want to use it. This is what access is sounding like to me. You're, you're setting the the pharmacist up to really just use the tool the way that they want to use the tool, not saying here's because I remember training programs with our system. It was a nightmare for the client yeah. to have to train uh, an entire organization on the way that the pharmacy software wanted them to work, even though there was some customization. But then, like I said, when you started act adding true workflow at the time, 
which was Integra's, you know, system for, mm-hmm. for DocuTrack. DocuTrack. It really yeah. gave freedom to organizations that were doing skilled versus yeah. uh, long-term wow. care yeah. versus just some assisted living. Yeah. And that really opened up this. So this Hospice. is like that yeah. third generation box of what we're able farms to and management systems are complex there's a reason why there's not a lot of new ones new ones out in the market but the vision's got to be you know I, I highlighted earlier that there's tons of corollaries in other industries right and so if you go back to uh enterprise resource planning systems saps of the world yeah. uh years ago many many moons ago i might have actually installed one <laughs> um, crm <laughs> systems yeah <laughs> and but pharmacy systems should be a lot like QuickBooks now, right? You should just download the app. Get started. Get started. And, right. and we should automate the ingestion of data uh, and you should be able to just get started. It's not quite that easy yet, right? but it's no, pretty damn there. close. Yeah, it's <laughs> there really quick. All right, let's put our imagination hats on because I'm a science fiction fan, a cool. big Star Wars fan and the world of uh, what's funny. You know what's funny that makes you feel really old is when I watch science fiction that was everything to me because when i was a young uh, star yeah. wars was it the technology of today is more advanced than the technology that are in my science fiction films and that makes me really cool yeah because imagine if luke skywalker had an iphone back in the day how much how many lives could have been saved how many rebels could have been <laughs> saved with the gps you know yeah and and everything that's, that's available it, it is beyond it now. but it is sure. but, ways, so what's yeah. so let's put our our hats on i understand artificial intelligence to we just interviewed uh tom lowry who was a, a microsoft think tank um expert i mean he was just amazing and he came on with gilbash from fin partners and we talked about ai's impact to pharmacists where do you see the ability to take this vanilla platform and bolt in different components but now overlay um artificial intelligence and what is kind of like that next layer um Bob, I'm going to kick this one to you first. Uh, not a problem. Um, what I would, so our vision and and not us, but I think the industry's vision is one day you will walk up and say, hey, look, I need these things. You can even probably do it audibly, but you can do hashtag, I need this. And, and you have an audit function because there's always a legality in that, but you should start to predict and say, here's what you should do next. And that should be a two or three step process as opposed to running a true pharmacy. The pharmacy management system should be working behind the scenes, but the ability to use those things should be one or two steps. And it's basically saying, hey, I've seen you before. The other thing is your records should follow you, right? So yeah. the ability to say, hey, Instead you've done this before. Instead of fill out those forms that drive yeah, you crazy. So it should be, hey, look, we've seen this. Have you have you been taking your medicine? If not, you know, here's what you need to do. So I, I think it's going to be more consultative based on that data and uh, the ability to get other services as well. And um, it's not keystroking anymore. I think you're going to start seeing, actually, when you look at AI, it's actually for uh, uh, voice systems as much as anything where it started. So um, I think taking that and talking to it and saying, hey, this is what I need is probably going to be the future. That's where younger people go. They they want yeah. less. It's mouse touch talk. They're not going to want to learn the 50 steps of getting through a system. They'd rather understand what's going on behind the scenes as opposed to stroking. Go ahead. I, I, think, I think AI is going to change just about every element of pharmacy. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to change just about every element of pharmacy. I think it's going to change just about every element of our business over time. And yeah. I don't think, I think time is going to be measured in months uh, yeah. <laughs> on, on, on this one. Yeah. Um, it, it will, um, a couple quick examples. It, it should dramatically automate medication therapy management reviews yeah. as an example. 
Uh, AI should also be guiding the pharmacist on where those therapy management uh, reviews are most effective and should be ingesting all of the millions and millions of medication therapy management reviews that have been done in this country and figuring out which ones need to continue to happen, which ones should be automated outside of a pharmacist and which ones should be done because they're so critical uh, to the human and human contact that the pharmacist needs to do them. And I think AI is going to, as one example, uh, revolutionize uh, all of that. A key to anything we do with AI is you've got to be able to aggregate the data to make it intelligent. And to the extent that all your data is residing on individual servers, you're going to have one heck of a hard time doing it. Um, that, so, so core to AI being brilliant is going to be the aggregation and analysis of the data because you got to train it to be smart at something, right? It's going to dramatically change the way we develop uh, technology. It's going to make it, I don't know, pick your number, 80% faster. I, I don't know what it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, I was playing around on chat. I was telling Bob, I was playing around on chat GPT uh, the other day and uh, no secret, I'm not the technology guy in the room. Uh, so I don't write a lot of lines of code. And I said, hey, I want you to write me an inventory module for retail pharmacy and Python linking to, to uh, a Mongo database. Yeah. Four, four pages of code come spitting out at me. Jeez. Uh, you know, it's, it's just just frightening. To some degree, it's frightening. Yeah. It's also going to revolutionize how we, how we provide support. You know, you're talking about uh, proactive calling uh, in in. In red sale, one of the things we measure is, you know, percentage of time our support employees are able to proactively call. We make sure there's enough time that they're proactively calling and they're seeing things uh, in the system. Man, that should be all automated. <laughs> we actually had the discussion coming in. There was like five areas, you know, there's automation yeah. of for support external. How do you get help? There's automation internal of how do you help people? There's coding, there's QA, there's security. I mean, there's... Even like e-prescribing, can you imagine the day where all you do is an audit and you say, hey, I approve, I've looked at it, and here's what the data is telling me. Um, the other thing is when you're looking at pharmacies, I mean, they, they live and die by being efficient, right? The, uh, the ability to cost management. Software should be telling you how to do that, not you having to force the issue by getting data. Doing, and, and it's also, it's, it's not proactive, it's reactive. That should be a proactive step in your workflow. You were talking about workflow earlier. Yeah. Your decisions should be guided by how do you do what's best for the for the prescriber, also for the pharmacist. Um, and we're just getting to that point where we're better at that as opposed to the, the ones that survive and do better are the ones that are actually have discipline around that. Our software and our data should be telling you how to do that. And that's that's where we see it going. And um we're quickly driving toward that. But the first thing you have to have a plat is a platform that allows you to do that. Right. And then unless you're on modern technology, you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to be able to hit and miss and dabble. Were we, you know, when I was part of the, the trellis, uh, RX organization, we built our own, uh, specialty plat, especially in chronic disease management platform, because, uh, all the systems that were out there at the time, the workflow was organized around the pill. Uh, and then especially in chronic disease management, it's got to be organized and the decision support's got to be organized around uh, the patient journey of the disease state, right? Whether it be cancer or uh, rheumatoid uh, uh, diseases or, or pick your pick your uh, disease state. And all the things I always think back, all the things that we built the intelligence for decision support and for our pharmacists, 
all of that should be automated. Uh, if you if you if you really want to make it right, and if there's anybody listening that uh, owns a, a large EHR, the right thing to do is integrate pharmacy data with EHR data. Exactly. And if you really want to manage a disease state uh, with AI, that's what you've got to integrate yep. from a data set standpoint. So point of care testing is going to become a huge part Absolutely. of the future of community pharmacy. Yeah. And shout out to Dr. Kristen Talent, who runs PocTalk. Um, it's all about the evolution of point of care testing. That data has to be shared with the pharmacy management system and access to it relevant to mm -hmm. the exact NDC that is now tied into the follow-up to the test, A, or actually B. A is sharing it with the physician at the EHR level, which is where access could come in as Absolutely. the baton yeah. holder. So now baton, you know, here's the baton for the physician, here's the one for the pharmacist, yep. and now when the physician responds and they're like, this is great. Thank you. Or they'll say, Hey, wait, let's add this vitamin B12 or whatever. Like it's literally going to be bi-directional so it can flow back and forth. We, we would argue we're building the largest, yeah. the largest um, network of pharmacies on, uh, on a cloud-based data network that if there is an EHR or lab platform out there, we we're the easiest point of integration. And the, the first yeah. groups to figure this out uh, are going to solve an immense amount of disease problems in this country uh, and make pharmacy's job a lot more important. And I, I think if you can integrate EHR, lab and pharmacy, uh, and there's no good reason not to right now. Uh, and I'll, I'll put our hands up and say yeah. we're, we're, we're happy to, to lead the way with folks. Yeah. Um, but you've got you've got to get the tools modern to be able to do it. I agree. The other thing you can do is like we have existing platforms out there. What he. Craig talked about that network, the exchange and the data. We, we built that where even our existing platforms now leverage that. And you have a configurable workflow like in a, a Pioneer platform. You have much more capability now because of that. And we're able to provide services. So um, that modernization doesn't have to be in whole, but it certainly need you need to start that evolution. And we, we think we've done it appropriately. And how do you interact with us? How do you get that data? And how do you start making better decisions? All right. So we have uh, pharmacists, pharmacy owners that are listening in and they, they want to learn more. They want to kind of reach out to you guys. What's, what is the website that we're going to? Because it's, it's evolved over there. It's certainly not Red Cell Technologies. It's probably Access or is it Integra? You, you can get well, Red Cell Technologies is the, yeah. is the, is the uh, parent brand and you can access Red Cell Technologies and, and, and get to see Access. Yeah. Access is the platform yep. that you'll hear as a pharmacy Excellent. management system. And then the rest is behind the scenes. That's the way we manage that network. Are is anyone from um, Red Cell going to the Assembia event that's coming up? Yeah, we will have a group there. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to get a quote from you guys because we'll be covering it as media and press. So I'd sure, love, to, love to talk to you about specialty pharmacy. I think that's yeah. a whole other podcast. That, that is a whole other podcast. <laughs> I, uh, that's an important thing for the independents as well. Absolutely. Um, Having yeah. a tie into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot, lot of threads there. Well, I just want to say thank you to both of you, how thank much you. of an honor that this is to talk with veterans that I can talk with on all levels. And you can eclipse my knowledge of where I started in in 2004, not to make you guys sound older than me, but uh, I'm Definitely. glad that I'm the youngest guy in the room today instead of being the, I'm, I'm usually the oldest now working <laughs> yeah. with these yeah, well, yeah. That was a great way to end it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Craig no, and I didn't get our reading glasses out, but they're coming. So. You know, and, and I'll, to give you a plug in all, all sincerity, I think I think what you've done with the Pharmacy Podcast Network is incredibly important to the industry. 
uh, and we're we're thrilled to be a, a little small small part of it and congratulate yeah, you on a thank great, you. great job thank you i i i take this to heart i believe in the pharmacists i believe in what we're we're able to do and i have kind of a interesting starting point in my career that was in technology and was in pharmacy software so i understand it enough to really see the domino effect mm -hmm. and so it gets me excited when i see the ability to fold in alexa and in amazon yep. and and the community pharmacy and home care and technology and testing um there is a blood testing organization that's going to be entering a community pharmacy soon called Babson Diagnostics. They're going to be able to give all of the blood testing information back to the EHR, and they're waiting for a pharmacy management system to kind of say, well, where do we push this data? And therein lies, you know, an ability to bolt into. Craig, imagine what, what genetics tied into our platform. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, this is good. Uh, Craig, uh, Bob, oh, I thank, thank you. you both for being here. And I want to give a shout out to our pharmacist and to our pharmacy technicians. Absolutely. Um, we appreciate you. Uh, we do this for you. So reach out to this organization as well as Bob and uh, Craig. Look for them on uh, LinkedIn if you're not LinkedIn. And uh, you can find us everywhere at Pharmacy Podcast. But that was This Week in Pharmacy with the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Very thank good. you. Long-term care pharmacies are always on the hunt for ways to scale their business and ensure they're a solutions partner for their nursing home and skilled facility customers. Now, with the aging baby boomer generation projected to increase the number of Americans ages 65 and older from 46 million to more than 95 million by 2060, the demand for long-term care has never been greater and neither have the growth opportunities for LTC pharmacies. Framework LTC is a long-term care pharmacy software designed to improve scale Scalability. This platform is incredibly effective for scaling your LTC pharmacy business. It starts with your workflow management, designed around your operations. Framework LTC was designed with long-term care intricacies in mind, which provide a number of different features unavailable with a retail pharmacy software. Framework LTC helps to accomplish these seven critical categories. Streamlined workflows, automated manual tasks, custom services to meet unique needs of different facilities, gain better visibility into your operations, make data-driven decisions, curb your billing complexities, and manage new services. Learn more at frameworkltc.com. That's frameworkltc.com. Hey, uh, it's nice to do uh, multiple segments and it's fun because we have had an extended show. This is different for This Week in Pharmacy listeners. So this is our second half of the show um, of today's This Week in Pharmacy. And we're starting off um, talking about um, tomorrow, tomorrow, Saturday. So I have a long um, week. I have to work tomorrow. So I'll be running a um, virtual conference, which I'm really excited about. Um, which is called um, Total Pharmacy. And Total Pharmacy is um, part of Drug Topics publications, the big magazine out of uh, Drug Topics. Pharmacy Podcast Network is very proud to be working with Drug Topics um, on the Total Pharmacy Summit. It's going to start tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Um, and we're going to have a multitude of different speakers. And um, we want to give a shout out to... Um, all of the uh, sponsors that have come together um, to to sponsor this event, and it's it's great uh, virtual education for you if you uh, want to understand uh, where is community pharmacy going, independent uh, community pharmacy going, and how important it is 
to thrive as a community pharmacy because the impact that you have. Let's also talk about um, where we're going to be headed uh, this uh, May, May 1st through 5th. Pharmacy Podcast Network will be a press and media partner of Access 2023, all focused on specialty pharmacy. The Assembia team are an amazing group, um, and we like being there. We've gone to that show so many different times, and um, we do excellent work there to cover the show, so you'll have post-conference opportunity to listen in and know uh, what's going on in specialty pharmacy. Hey, I have a special guest in our studio right now, um, which is exciting for me. Uh, Fayette County is my home county. Um, I grew up in um, Butler, Pennsylvania, Butler County, but I moved down in Fayette County in 2012. And um, Scott was not commissioner at that time, but he became commissioner of our county two years ago, right? 2019. 2019. So this is Scott Dunn. Um, You are our favorite Fayette County commissioner, one of three. And I'm thrilled to have you here in the studio. And I'm thrilled to be here. It's kind of cool. And, uh, you know, we we met probably 2019 when yeah. I was first running. And uh, you've come a long way. I want to congratulate you. Yeah, it's fun. I think the first time that we met, I had you to the stu- the old, the original right. studios. Right. And um, we had you. Um, I wanted to promote you because I I love the thought of, of – um, freshness and new ideas coming into communities Mm -hmm. and at the time i was just like hey you know i i was new to the community and still new to the community really and and i don't been there since like i said seven years and i thought you know if it were time for some new ideas in the in in the county leadership i was like that that, that's the reason i i voted for you was it wasn't even a it's not even a party thing to me it's really just hey i want fayette county to i want it to grow Right. And at that time, I was guilty of not really being part of the community like I should have been. And it was William James who started Team Humanity here in Brownsville mm-hmm. that kind of uh, lit a fire in me. Right. It was like, I have to get involved somehow. And even though this publication is really a, um, it's a national publication really for the pharmacy industry, my home is Fayette County. So every time I get an opportunity to have someone local come in and speak to us about a, whatever subject it is, and we'll get to the subject. That's important. So tell our listeners who who might not be watching live, um, tell them about yourself and, and how you became a commissioner. So I am a lifelong Fayette County resident. Um, I don't want to tell you how old I am, but you're still the, <laughs> you're still the youngest guy in the room. Um, so listen, I, I uh, growing up, I ended up uh, owning a. Uh, borough council president in my little town. And I just wanted to make an impact in my, my community, uh, you know, the population of a thousand and, you know, we had a bad reputation and we tried to, you know, move ourselves along and, and become a better community. And I did it strictly out of selfish reasons. I, I wanted a better place for my kids to grow up. Um, so that was kind of how it started. Uh, about eight years in, we were making deals and doing things. And I had about a million dollars worth of projects uh, in, the, in the hopper. And and the uh, and the borough match was only about $30,000. And so I kept trying to like make these deals and make deals and make deals. And then 
um, I actually it was it was uh, kind of funny. Somebody, one of my friends, saw me speak somewhere, and they they said uh, you should run for commissioner. And it became kind of a joke at work because <laughs> I said, "Hey, if you don't treat me right, I'm going <laughs> to run for commissioner." And then it took me about ten minutes to tell the guy, "Hey, I'm actually going to run for commissioner." Um, and and I, and the reason is the same. And, and I want to build my community. My I just want to change my community from my little hometown to to do it countywide. And I thought, Hey, if I can do these things in my town at five to 10 hours a week, that was all I was putting into it. And now I can be full time, um, and kind of do the same things I was doing there and, you know, promote my County and build my County back. And, right. you know, we've, we've had a tough time. Um, Fayette County has seen over the last 50 years, the loss of the steel industry, the coal industry. Um, you know, we, uh, have had a, a severe population loss over that time. And it's time for us to build ourselves back. Right. And, 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 you know, it didn't have that didn't start yesterday and it's not going to end tomorrow. But I have this philosophy that if you don't take that first step, your journey never starts. Yeah. And so that's what we're doing right now. And, you know, the thing about government, government takes a long time. You know, if, if I apply for a grant today, I'm going to get funded three years from now. And so, but you have to have that vision of here, here's what I want to do three years from now and start getting that money. Now. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, the, the older I got, I think it was maybe mid thirties. Um, politics started becoming de demystified to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I got into pharmacy, it accelerated because there's so much politics in the pharmaceutical industry and I could quickly pick up <clears throat> based on track record people who were in it really for the for the good of the position and they mm -hmm. were they became almost servant leadership based and there's a book out there called the servant leader and and it's it's the whole philosophy that you're going to use your mind your resources your talents um in your case you you knew how to make deals you know how to talk business and you're going to turn that in towards the the community that that you want to serve mm -hmm. in order to help it grow so that was demystification number one for me. Number okay. two um, was realizing that there's nothing wrong with individuals who bring massive amounts of opportunity, growth, or even money to a community. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that individual thriving because of that influx of opportunity mm -hmm. and business and, and money, as long as it's transparent, right? Right. So meaning if... Um, and I'll give a shout out to Mike Walters, um, just for you listeners out there. Uh, Mike Walters is my landlord and we rent, um, our studio space on top of his sandwich shop. And I like that cause I get coffee and danishes and salads and stuff, but Mike and his wife, um, are entrepreneurial and Mike has a construction business and Mike ran and won city council, um, mm -hmm. you know, he sits on city council of Brownsville right. Right. and Brownsville, interestingly enough is it, just like Fayette County, it's one of the communities that's in that rocket ship growth. It's starting to really change Correct. trajectory. Absolutely. Like we're starting to, when I moved here in 2012, I'll be up front with the listeners. I was not impressed. Like it, the, the downtown Brownsville was very sorry and it was run mm -hmm. down. And stuff. But now it's 2023. This place is gorgeous. The downtown is completely rental. So go back to, back to Mike. Mike has this background in construction, right? And he knows how to get stuff done. Now he's part of the the mm -hmm. um, the council, and things are accelerating because right. of his. Now I'm not saying it's all him; it's not. 
it's a com- it's a combining of people because you're one of three commissioners. You can't Correct. do th- you can do some things yourself, but you really can't make things work unless you plug into people who really want to get stuff done. Right. So the way I look at it as a commissioner, you know, I, I'm on a board of three. If I am spending any county money, if I'm spending any county property or anything that is specifically related to the Fayette County government, I need a second vote. And, but I can go help Mike. I can go help Will James. Right. I can go help whoever is, is reaching out to me and help them outside of my, you know, my administrative role as a Fayette County commissioner. That's the fun part where yeah. I get to go out and help people. Yep. Um, and, and it's that background, that deal making. Um, and the, I always say the, the root of the word politics is people. And it's about making relationships with people. So now, you know, I'm three years in, three plus years in of being commissioner. I, I always say I, I have people for that, you know, and so I, I'm always calling somebody up where I get a call from somebody. I need this. And here's who you call, you know. Um, and so I, I connect a lot of dots as a, as a politician. I want to uh, give a shout out to your friend, pharmacy owner right here in Fayette County. Um, Walter Lizza. Is mm-hmm. am I saying his last name right? Walter Lizza. Lizza. Rhymes with pizza. Pizza. There right, you go. There, that's a better way to know. <laughs> so Walter Lizza. Um, Sorry, Walter, if you're listening. Apothecary shops and what? Two pharmacies, right? I believe he has two pharmacies. Yes. And if he's listening, you're going to what? what he's going to be mad at me. <laughs> Lizza rhymes Rose, with pizza. There you go. He has to come. Uh, Walter, if you're listening, You've got to come down to Pharmacy Podcast Network. We got to do a show about you and on you. Like I love, I love talking to pharmacists. That's my right. whole life. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so Walter and I uh, went to high school together, and he lived about a half block from me. Yeah. Okay. So growing Did up, you pick on him or anything? No, oh, he he would have picked on <laughs> he me. He would have picked sure. on you. <laughs> All right. So, um, I once again uh, move here in 2012. Mm-hmm. I take a position at that time. I was in pharmacy technology, pharmacy software took a position in 2016 with an organization uh, called New Season. Mm-hmm. When, but at that time, they were called Colonial Health Management Group. But they transformed into New Season. And they were a headquartered organization down in Orlando, Florida. And they managed 82 medication-assisted treatment centers throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And um, my job was to marry... Um, emergency room modality treatment uh, programs between the emergency rooms and the treatment centers and get pharmacists involved as well. And it was fun because I traveled all over the country, got to meet wonderful pharmacists, got to um, understand opioid use disorder and how it was impacting communities. Mm -hmm. And then I would build special programs between the center and politicians, the center and government, the center and, and housing, uh, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And then after I did it for about, it was about a year and a half, I looked inward to my own community. And I was like, so what's happening in Fayette County mm-hmm. with regards to opioid use disorder? Because every community has an issue. It's not, there's no community in the entire country that doesn't have this, that Correct. impacts them. So I looked to, to, um, Based on other community centers, and I'm sorry, based on our other centers and other communities, I was trying to reflect and contrast and compare how were we doing compared to other Mm -hmm. um, counties throughout the, and I'm sorry, states and areas without the country. 
and Fayette County was doing horribly in deaths and then keeping people in in proactive treatment and and transitional treatment where you might go from like a methadone to a Vivitrol, which gives the patient more freedom. And like mm-hmm. there, there was no innovation in right. from what my from my perspective. Even though I had only been in it for a year and a year right. and a half, I quick, quickly recognized that. So the fear, the I didn't even know who to go to in our own organization. I worked mostly with state representatives, so I went to my state representatives first, um, and um, I a shout out to Pam Snyder because that's the first mm-hmm. person I worked off with. She's amazing, freaking amazing, and um, she said you need to work with the county commissioners, and I'm like, all right. So I went to the county commissioners, and there was an experience that I had that was inconsistent among the commissioners. Um, and I ran into political reasoning roadblocks that had nothing to do with care. It had to do with positioning mm-hmm. and whose ground and whose, you know, whose territory you were in. Right. And it mm-hmm. had, and I quickly recognized that. Right. And then I was sent up to Cranberry Township to go to another organization. And I met with that CEO and I told them about innovation because I come across when I get involved in something, I get all in and do it. Mm-hmm. I was excited to see right. innovation in medication-assisted treatment come to Fayette County through some of the things we were doing. Mm-hmm. Long story short, I'm not with that organization anymore. I, I was there for about three and a half years. And because of the lack of ability, because I was the one to convince that company to invest in Fayette, Fayette County, right. which is embarrassing because they put a shit – that. We don't say shit, but I'm going to say it anyway. We put a shit ton of money into the center that we built. It was state of the art. Mm -hmm. It had uh, preparation for uh, video trainings and like doing things that Fayette County is not doing. And that system and that location dried up because we weren't able to tap into the necessary funding that was needed Mm -hmm. to be there to grow one of those centers. Right. And I was ready to go to WVU and do some stuff and partner with UPMC and bring in digital therapeutic devices that would like give feedback to patients on how they're like, I wanted to go full bore. Now we go into the publication that we're into now. And I, I still have a heart for opioid use disorder. So the reason why I'm here with you today is two part. Number one, I want community pharmacists, to listen to today's interview and think, how do I work with my community commissioners in my own county? How do I work with my state representatives in order to, number one, bring in more resources to the community? Number two, use some of the funding that you might be able to get to do some personalized care for our for our patients. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to hear from your perspective, now that you've been commissioner long enough to, to kind of reflect and think, give yourself kind of a report card. You don't have to, I don't want to, I don't want a letter grade, but I'm just saying in your, in your mind, give yourself a report card about how we're doing as a, as a County, and then kind of give a shout out to our pharmacist and maybe, maybe how do we work together? Well, how do we, how, how do, maybe I get back involved in the County? I don't know. How do we into innovate Fayette County? So first, uh, you know, my, my disclaimer is I'm not a, um, pharmacist. I'm not a <laughs> medical medical doctor <laughs> Me. um, or a therapist, and I'm I'm just a concerned citizen uh, when it comes to and a father when right. it comes to uh, drug use and things like that. So, and I'll go back to the, the days in Dunbar, and I recall 
we had a summer where uh, one of we had an overdose uh, death in in my town, town of a thousand, and it was the junkie, and nobody cared. Yeah. And then a week later, the softball player died. A week later, the minor league baseball player died. The week later, the engi- an engineering student died. A week later, and on and on. And I kept going to my friends' kids' funerals, and it, these were not kids on that side of the track. These these weren't junkies. Um, and our kids were dying. And so we reached out to the state and our local drug and alcohol, and we had a town hall. Um, and you're like, okay, town hall. It was in a church and it was standing room only. Wow. And it really, what dawned on me was first off, I, I was there as the leader of the community, but I was also there as a parent and I had three kids, uh, two teenagers at the time. And one, I don't know how old my, my youngest son was. He had been about eight. Um, and I, I reflected as I'm 51 years old. I didn't know I was going to have to know about heroin. I didn't know. Like right. if you put a bag, of, a stamp bag of heroin in front of me, I wouldn't, I'd have no idea what that yep. looks like. So as a parent, teach me what I need to know. So I keep my kids safe. Yep. And that way I can t- teach everybody else how to keep their kids safe. So that was, that was the start of it. Um, so I'm a big uh, proponent of education and training, even um, not necessarily to people who are going to be, you know, subject to uh, or potentially use heroin, but you know, their loved ones as well. Yes. Uh, so they can, they can start to, uh, they can see the signs and get to them quicker. Um, so that, that was, that's been my goal all along is to have that, uh, you know, that, that education part of it. Um, you know, my disclaimer part is, um, I, you know, I, again, I was a truck driver and I own a trucking company. And so I didn't know the, I don't know the business side of, uh, treatment and things like that as well as I should. And, but I have people that I can rely on and that's the, the Fayette County Drug and Alcohol Commission. and. So we work very closely with them um, and they have, we have an overdose task force that we meet regularly and try to have events. Um, we get the deterra bags out into pharmacies. That's one of the things that we try to do is have those available. Um, I'm sure you know what a, everybody listening knows what a deterra bag is. Um, and so those are some of the things that we try to do. And, and, you know, we do still have these community events where you know, I will speak at, and we just had one in, in, um, Markleysburg, Fayette County, not too long ago where I, I spoke. Um, so we, we continue to have these town hall type meetings to try to keep everybody educated. Um, but along the lines of, of treatment, one of the things that we've done in Fayette County, where we were a litigating County in the opioid settlement. So, uh, we, we uh, settled for, and we we're, we're going to get about ten million dollars over about eighteen years. So we're going to get about five hundred thousand dollars a year. There's an exhibit that tells us how we can spend the money, and it's edu- it's treatment and education and prevention and things like that. There's no law enforcement money available in this. That's one thing that everybody always asks. Hey, you know, let's get it off the streets, and then you don't have to worry about all the other stuff. But there's, you know, I have to spend the money the way that they. They tell us to spend money. Right. Um, so we've come up, we've worked with our drug and alcohol commission to, to come up with what I think is a fairly 
uh, unique approach. I didn't want to throw a big blanket over Fayette County and saying, hey, if you have an opioid problem, call this number. That never works. Um, so we went and we took a targeted approach. And we, we know we have three populations that are uh, are in trouble with, with opioids and substance use disorder. And the first one is in our jail. We know that 90% of the people in our jail are there because of drugs. Um, and so part of the, our opioid money will be used for new treatment um, and programming in our jail. We uh, just spent uh, about $45 million building a new uh, correctional facility in Fayette County, replacing yep. our old one, which didn't have a, a, a place, didn't have a medical wing. We now have a medical wing. We now have programming space where we can do some of this stuff. So that's the first kind of target population that we had. The second one is the homeless population. Um, now, while we are semi-rural and we don't have as big a homeless population as like a San Francisco or Los Angeles, we do though have a homeless population. Um, and so we're working with an organization, a nonprofit called City Mission in Uniontown uh, to have the a uh, shelter for them there. We will have somebody from our a counselor from drug and alcohol in the shelter and to try to recruit them to get them into treatment. So that's, that's two um, of the target populations. The third one is kind of the, what I think is the most unique. Um, and that is people who have overdosed. If you have overdosed today and you were uh, brought back by Narcan that evening, somebody from the EMS company and somebody from drug and alcohol go back to your house and try to get you to go into counseling. Right. And uh, so those are three, to, and we know it works. We actually had this program about two years ago. It lost funding. 12% of the people that they go back to meet go into counseling or go into treatment. Mm -hmm. So, and you think, oh, 12%, that's not that big of a, a number. And then you start thinking about who you're dealing with, uh, you know, dealing with drug addicts who overdosed. 12% um, is actually probably a pretty good number. Um, so, and what we can do over time is we can judge you know, these will become evidence-based programs where we'll be able to judge, hey, this works, this doesn't work, we yep. need to tweak this. Um, and what I wanted to make sure that we didn't do was every year when we get our opioid settlement money that we go, hey, what are we spending it on this year? I wanted sustainable, workable yep. programs that will help eradicate this problem in Fayette County. Yep, I like it. Um, I think of SAMHSA, which is a national organization that focuses on nothing but uh, addiction medicine and addiction support. And they, of course, probably a third of what they do is all tied back to OUD, opioid mm -hmm. use disorder. Um, and I think they definitely probably have data that would be able to give you metrics and the rest of the commissioners metrics and, you know, um, the, the Fayette County, um, what, what was it called? The, the drug and alcohol. Drug and alcohol. Yeah. Right. So they probably are able to access data where they're like, hey, let's find a county in the United States that's the same size, the same demographic, mm -hmm. you know, the might maybe even got hit by the loss of the steel industry, whatever, um, that we can compare to see what they're doing, especially if they're having greater success with things, you know, right. in their counties and be able to contrast and, and kind of think, well, what can Fayette County do now 
with those mm-hmm. with those funds and with right. the grant money. I I know that Narcan is now over the counter, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, does that help with access from your perspective? It can, and I need to check our exhibit to see, um, you know, if we're permitted to do that. The, the exhibit is quite thick mm-hmm. um, and written in lawyer ease yeah. if you will so uh you kind of got to go through it and read it two or three times and the really put in your brain okay yeah i think we can do this P- pennsylvania also has a trust fund um set up so you, what you have to do is you kind of go back to the trust to say hey we this is the program we want like this cast program where we go to the the per- person who overdosed that day um we see that in section two under paragraph one um, you know, cause it's not hundred percent, you know, right. in, in written form, the way that we're, we're looking at it. But, um, so you got to go back and make sure to them before you, uh, before you spend the money. Fayette County is also this month going to sign a, a secondary settlement and we will receive probably another $350,000 a year and it'll have the same requirements but so we will be doing uh what we did with these programs next year with additional programs that's great so yeah so but i i I do believe making sure that narcan is available um is one of the criteria yeah what's the name of the community pharmacy that's out in connellsville that's run by the, the the wife and and um husband team i'm sure if they're both pharmacists but it's in the shopping center on the corner across from Sheets. I can't remember the name of that corner drugstore, but it's a it's in Connellsville. I just can't remember. There's a, a Curtis Pharmacy. Curtis. I don't believe that's them, but no, I don't think it is. But maybe they're not there anymore. But um, they. Or maybe I just got I, in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I, I approached them um, during my time with with New Season, just trying to get some ideas how. How does our community pharmacies get tied into partnerships, resources, education? Uh, because um, people are seeing their primary care physician one time to nine times of what you're seeing your community pharmacist. Mm-hmm. And so, if I, you know, if I come out of my um, my appointment with my primary care, I just went through knee surgery. Um, they the now we're of course a lot more sensitive about it, but the they put you on a seven day or thirty day supply of a pain you know management mm-hmm. drug. Maybe it's an opioid. At that point, does the community pharmacist get notified to keep a little bit tighter regimen on things like text communications, phone calls, follow ups, medication reviews? And I don't know. Faye, I kind of haven't talked to many community pharmacies. Shame on me. Um, in in. You know, other than Brownsville Family Pharmacy, I've talked to mm-hmm. talked to them every once in a while. But I really would like to know, hey, how is our community of pharmacies kind of integrated into this plan? And I know that there's like drug take back days. I know that Correct. you guys do that with the DEA and things, but maybe a little bit more aggressive with therapy. I don't I don't know if you've heard of anything or you have any people that are getting involved from the pharmacist perspective. So my recommendation would be we do have the overdose task force. Um, I will reach out to them to say, hey, how do we involve pharmacist, uh, pharmacist mm-hmm. pharmacies? Um, in, in to Because I've always thought, like you said, you, you go to the pharmacy more than you go to the doctor. Yeah. 
know, even with the Deterra bags, like when they first started, um, we were just handing them out at, you know, fairs and, you know, a table here and table there. And I thought, man, like, like every opioid or every, um, you know, what do they call the, the prescription that is illegal, uh, not, not, you know, a C2 any, or C1. Yeah, or C, C2. so now you're getting, now you're getting technical. <laughs> C, okay. Anyway, if, if you hand one of those out, hand out a deterra bag with it, you know, and explain to them, hey, look, this is, don't let this sit in your, in your medicine cabinet because someday some kid, your kid or your grandchild might come and take this out of the medicine cabinet. Right. This is how you dispose of these. When, when you're done, here's how you dispose of it and give them the disposal mechanism when you're giving them the the pills so i always thought that would have been a good idea um you know i don't know how to make that yeah. happen but we can make that happen. <clears throat> yeah absolutely I i'd like to hear from to... pharmacists you tell me if that's a good <laughs> that's idea that's right reach out to scott um i'm thinking of other pharmacy owners listening in other pharmacists listening in all across the country where they probably how often have they reached out to their county commissioners to really build proactive programs. Because here's the thing, I'm of the mindset, if I were a county commissioner of Fayette County, my attitude would be, I need to teach this county how to empower itself. Mm -hmm. Almost like, do I give you a fish or do I teach you to fish? Mm -hmm. And I think that, that you, because of your business background and the fact that you have been this has been your, this is your whole, this is your family. This is mm -hmm. your life. This right. is what, you are a, a teacher of fishermen because it's almost like, how do I get you resources to go do what you're good at? Mm -hmm. Because right. you think of our counselors, you think of the pharmacists, you think of the nurse practitioners, the nurses, the whole teams that surround people in addiction. And, and how do we accelerate that? And you're the one that is like, Hey, I'm not do, really doing any of it, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring you resources. I'm going to bring you funding. I'm going to bring. Like, Correct. Kind of yeah. So, and, and that's the important part. I, again, I rely on the expertise of others uh, when it comes to this, the, the business side of it, the, the treatment side of it. Um, I get personally involved if it's going to be the educational side of it, I will go and tell my story. Um, and, you know, cause again, again, we have to have, you know, and it's never going to go away 100 percent right but we have to we have to see it decline so that we can uh you know move forward as a, a community um you know i always tell you know it affects so many other things i mean you're not just uh, as a politician you, you know when we're talking about opioid use disorder here right now but now that affects poverty that affects mm -hmm. your education yeah. that affects um your uh the the unemployment in our right you know how how do how, how how am i trying to yep. attract a, a company to come here when they see that we have you know these problems and so so as a politician you're trying to eradicate these problems and it's not like you can pick off one thing at the top and say if we if we if we take this out all these other problems go away because you still have poverty even without yes drug use 
you still have poverty over here. You still have homelessness and, and all the, the social ills. And you're trying to remove that. And Fayette County is growing. Um, and as as a person, as a man, I don't, I'm just not going to, I view Fayette County as a, as a pyramid. I'm not, I'm not just going to polish the top of the pyramid. Yeah. And, and while the people at the base don't, get to come along. Right. And so I want to build a bigger pyramid and I want to build the base and I want everybody to have the opportunities that I've had in Fayette County, um, you know, to, to build a life. And cause uh, I know this is going out national, please come to Fayette County for a visit. Uh, we have world-class parks, Nemecolin. bike trails, uh, Nemecolin yeah. Woodlands is Ohio pile, right. Falling water. Falling from, water. Uh, we have two Frank Lloyd Wright houses, in our in our county, falling water and Kentuck Knob, um, you know anything you want to do outside, golfing, skiing, white whitewater rafting, hiking, biking, hunting, fishing, uh, you can do that, all that in Fayette County. And makes maybe it, I should have a pharmacy conference up in Fayette County. Yeah, there somewhere. you go. We can make that happen. See? So, but it, and so as as I there there are so many great things about Fayette County, and I get to go sell and promote all those things yep. and. Um, but at the same time, I'm not going to overlook, I always say, accentuate the positive, and we're going to work on the negative. We're going to work on all these negative things down here. Yep. Um, because, again, I want everybody to be able to uh, take advantage of the growth that you're going to see. Yeah, I think of counties that I visited in um, in Florida, which was hit really hard by the opioid epidemic at the height of it. And that's when... It was, I think, the number one state for uh, people crossing into the state to take their prescriptions to these uh, rubber stamping doctors mm. that were basically just doing it for the money. And people were driving from all over the United States right. to, or flying in or driving in or whatever. And so Florida really turned itself around like they're they're Now they have some of the most innovative centers that I saw. I actually walked through many of the, we had 19 centers down there that half of them needed updates from an mm -hmm. aesthetic perspective. And then the other half were nearly brand new and the technology that they were using. The only thing that they weren't doing during my tenure there is they weren't integrating holistic medicine in the thought that let's stop talking about just the addiction, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and Suboxone or Vivitrol or Subutex or some, let's talk about the whole patient. And you and I were talking about this before we started recording. The attitude is um, for even Fayette drug and alcohol, and they may have already thought of this. How do we treat the diabetes and the hypertension and the, um, you know, in the psychotropic side of this? For example, they say in, of our patient base back when I was in it, New seasons, um, patient base, 60% of that patient base had another issue mm -hmm. that was tied to behavioral health. Some of, so what was happening is, is it, it's, it, it's a domino effect. I had knee surgery. My doctor put me on opioids. I got addicted and didn't even realize it. Now he took me off opioids three years later. I'm addicted. I can't be without it. I go find heroin or I go do something, mm -hmm. you know, and, and now my life really starts to compound with issues. But along the way, my diabetes went crazy because I wasn't, I was so focused on 
my drug addiction or maybe even maybe therapy. Maybe they did get into therapy, but they weren't, they didn't have anybody there that was working in the total person, which I think helps to dismantle stigmas about treatment because that's one of the barriers to treatment is really, how do I make you feel? Like if, if I'm dealing with a heroin addiction, how does someone that knows that, even if they're a provider, even if they're a doctor or nurse, how are they treating me from an attitude perspective that you, you said it before, just like me, before you and I were educated mm-hmm. in it, we thought, oh, they're just, it's their choices. They're, you know, they're just druggies or they're just right. live. It's just, they went down the wrong path. Sometimes that's not the case. I couldn't believe how many professionals came into one of our centers back in the day that were nurses, lawyers, engineers, just like you said, that were people that were everyday people that got addicted to a medication, not by let me go out and party, but they went out, they were like, I need to not have pain in my back mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. be able to right. function. And I'm just like, so I always look for creativity and innovation in programs, but I always try to figure out, well, what's happening now so that you can either add on to it or make adjustments or make changes. So when I went through Fayette County's people and you weren't mm-hmm. there yet, right? Um, I was not impressed with the system. Um, you know, I, I was, I was, um, I was disappointed that nobody wanted to number one, let us into their round table mm-hmm. <laughs> to even talk. Uh, number two, to listen to our ideas about what we're doing in other counties and other right. states that is really having a, a positive impact and lowering the cost of treatment. We even had metrics where we showed because we did A, B, and C, treatment right. costs actually came down. Right. So I was, I was, um, I was disappointed. But I mean, it, it, it's changed now. I'm seeing. I don't know what. I don't know what's happened because I've kind of right. dislodged well, I, from it. But whatever's happening, it's it's been positive, like in the last five years. So I know that um, one of the things you know, I have this. I, I called it the attack on poverty, but as part of that is, you know, the addiction, because, um, you know, again, everything touches everything. So, you know, poverty, we're talking about education, we're talking about uh, addiction, mental health, physical health, yeah. um, and all these things. But uh, when we got to the addiction part, uh, you know, my big thing was, if you were an addict, and you said, I'm, I'm ready to come in, there had to be a bed for you that day, not, hey, a week from now, we'll have something open up. That day in Fay County, there had to be a bed. Yeah. Um, and so we went through the the metrics of how many people there are in Fay County you know, on average every day uh, in uh, recovery or in um, detox or, or where, whatever stage they were in. So... You know, so we actually have increased that. We've in, we actually doubled the detox beds in in Fayette County. The other, the other thing that they thought was lacking uh, were the halfway houses, the recovery part of it, mm-hmm. um, and so we've increased that as well. So, um, yeah, I, I know that there was uh, an issue with trying to get into the the network or what you know, um, and and that's that's tough because they have to figure out okay, what how many people are uh, on average in detox every day, if you're just talking about detox, um, you know, and you can't have 
50 detox beds when you only have 10 people in detox because then nobody makes any money right. and and uh, and right and, and and next thing you know when you do need a detox bed there's nobody to man the detox bed because you laid everybody off so it, it's a it's a uh, fine balance there it's a, a where where you got to make sure that you have enough for everybody and a little bit extra for because you never know um versus having you know such an excess that Again, nobody makes any money, and right. You know, so, so there's a fine line there. Yep, and 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 we can start dicing up levels of treatment. So the the first level of treatment, and some of what you were describing, was someone who has overdosed and has um, almost died. They've been Narcan, and their life is in so much disarray that it's time to go into inpatient detox. Mm-hmm. And then the next phase from that is, okay, now what's the ongoing treatment, which is the outpatient, and then right. maybe it's a medication-assisted treatment program where they're doing counseling and medication. And then the next phase is, hey, I've been on this long enough. I'm doing really well. How do I take a, <clears throat> how do I take a substance where I'm not having to come in every day, but now I'm taking a shot that's lasting a 30-day mm-hmm. interval? And then, I mean, there are so many different phases of treatment that i'm sure the team you know that's part of fayette county drug and alcohol understands each of those splinters each of those and they do yeah yeah Yeah. and then my what i want to say to the listeners the pharmacy owners is what can you do to reverse this process what what could you proactively do what would you like to hear from even walt for example not to pick on walt um but you just since we brought him up like someone like walt or browns of a family pharmacy what kind of information would empower the county or support the county from their expertise and their facility and their infrastructure? Because there's even the there's even the new strip packaging that you can put all of your uh, tablet based medications into, mm-hmm. which of course excludes methadone because methadone is either a li- usually a liquid and it has to be legally dispensed by the center. Right. But you start getting into other substances now that we don't have the X waiver and now you don't have to. Now that the X waiver, the X waiver said, "Hey, a physician has to take an eight-hour course in order to um, dispense uh, Suboxone." Now you don't need the waiver. So now, how do we take that opportunity to involve the community pharmacist to expand your services? You know, as a- and and as you're saying that, I'm sitting there thinking. All of you out there, you know, I'd like to see you guys come back to us and say, yep. "Hey, here's how we would like to be more involved in this as a pharmacy." Because now I'm sitting there thinking, "Wait, you know, there's, you know, uh, there's two clinics and two hospitals in Fayette County. There's a boatload of of pharmacies, yep. and um, you know, we could expand our network through the pharmacies." And, yeah. and but I at like, stages I, of at the right, right. stage of treatment. Yeah. Not the ones that are like, right? That need need to go through detox. Right. I'm talking about people that are the functional people that are go that are that are having issues. They're, mm-hmm. they're the ones. Hey, I have a job; it's sustaining, but I don't. I know I'm addicted. You know, mm-hmm. I, I need help, and I I'm sure that there's a bucket of those patients who would respond better to their local community pharmacist than having to go to a in a, a center or something right. like that because there's yeah. an embarrassment side of this too there's all like right. that stigma like right. a, part of treatment is saying i don't want the public i don't want my public to know that i you know 
oh, right. I'm having this issue. Yeah. I'm having this disease yeah. and addiction. Yeah. So even, even, and we recognize the stigma, um, is part of the process and even the, uh, the homeless part of the, the opioid settlement that we're going to do. Um, previously we had the police go out and that's how they were transported to the homeless shelter. And we're not going to do that anymore because that was too big of a stigma for the, and people would, they didn't want to get into a police car because it looked like they were getting arrested. And, you know, quite frankly, they weren't sure that they weren't <laughs> getting arrested. Um, and here, so we're actually working with our constables who used unmarked cars and, um, you know, to, to be the transport That's great. for these people. So uh, we recognize that as well. But, uh, you know, yeah, if, if anybody wants to come back, uh, you know, yeah. through here and, and tell us, hey, here's how pharmacies can be a bigger part of the solution. And, uh, you know, we will certainly Absolutely. look at any way to eradicate this problem. I want to give a shout out to Mark Garofoli. Dr. Garofoli runs WVU School of Pharmacy. He's one of their professors. Okay. If we have pharmacy students that are listening in, if we have our state association, the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association that's listening in, if you want to work closer with Fayette County and we want to do something creative, I would even host something here to have pharmacists in the county come together, maybe for a strategy session. But regardless, take take Commissioner uh, Dunn up on what he's saying and and reach out to to him and reach out to your own community uh, county commissioner and say, hey, how do we how do we work together? Mm-hmm. But by the way, I like seeing community pharmacists grow their business. So if this is an opportunity to even grow their own business through clinical services in addiction recovery, mm-hmm. I, 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 that's a win-win. Right. <laughs> yeah. You always look at that secondary thing. Hey, is there, is there another win there? Yeah. Is there an economic development portion of this that um, can happen? And so, you know, right now in the state of Pennsylvania, they have taken uh, over, over years and it's not, you know, one party did this or one party did that or, uh, but over budgetarily over years, they have taken mental health beds out. They have taken, um, you know, some of these other beds where people need th- these help. Um, and so what has happened? I don't even remember what we were talking about now, but um, so as, as these things go away and now they're looking at bringing them back. Okay. And so if they're going to bring them back, and it's regionally, it's not just Fayette County, it's all the counties that surround here. Let's bring it back here in Fayette County right. because we need these services. Everybody else needs these services. I want to provide these services here in Fayette County and employ all our citizens and employ our people here locally. So it becomes a secondary thing where, yeah, we're going to add mental health beds or we're going to add detox beds or all these things, but I want to do it here so that it becomes an economic development Yep. You know, and we're employing more people. Yep. There's so. 305,000 active pharmacists in the United States. Mm-hmm. I would be curious, how many pharmacists do we have active in Fayette County? That would be a cool statistic. I'm going to let you figure that out. Oh, whatever. Uh. I thought I was going <laughs> to tap into your metrics. I was going to cheat and get, get you to help. All right. Well, you have to, we have to have you back if there's ever any okay. time that we could maybe even get Hey, I keep saying this. Maybe we get Walt to come in with you and maybe we sit down and talk about Maybe I can make that happen. <laughs> that and when awesome. he picked on me when I was in see? 10th grade, see? <laughs> um, this has been wonderful, uh, Scott. Um, excited about the freshness that you know you brought mm-hmm. into the county through your leadership. And um it's just it's just good to to talk to somebody in your position that gets 
eyes on a multitude of different things that are impacting a county. And this is just one small piece of it, but it's an important piece of it. Right. Absolutely. But thank you for being here. This has been an interesting uh, experiment episode for us with elongating, um, having two parts to it, and then having all of the the wonderful uh, disruptions from technology. But guess what? That happens in real life. That happens when you're in front of a patient, I'm sure. Um, the, the POS system in your community pharmacy jams up your point of sale. And uh, unless you're using RMS, that could be a shout out for RMS, which is one of our our clients, Retail Management Solutions. Um, and it's been a it's been a good day. It's it's Good Friday. It's Pharmacy Friday. Wishing everyone a happy Passover if you've uh, celebrated that, and a very happy and blessed Easter. And um, that's it. I'm I'm wrapping up. I'm getting out of here because I don't want to be in front of the microphone anymore. I'm getting all sweaty. And um, that's this week in pharmacy.